The podcast world is growing bigger every day, and Himalaya wants to help you navigate it. Himalaya is a brand new podcast app where you can find every single podcast you love and some future faves. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya has got your back. Discover personally curated playlists and show your favorite podcasters some love with Himalaya's tip jar. It's free, it's the easiest to use, and they are adding cool new features every day. Go to the App Store, download Himalaya, that's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A, and don't forget to follow Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries once you're there. And I do have a little anecdote about this app. I was trying to listen to one of my favorite podcasts, the CU podcast. It's about video games and stuff. And uh, it was messing up on iTunes. Like, it was not playing. Like, the first 15 seconds would play, and then it just, like, cut off. Went on Himalaya. Pulled it up on there, played fine. So there you go for a user testimonial. Now to the show. All right, what's up, everybody? And welcome to episode number 122 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Saturday, December 29th. The eggnog has already gotten all over your face. The elves have smacked your ass. There's glitter all over the floor. Someone needs to clean all this shit up. The big Christmas orgasm is over. We're in this weird middle period where you just don't have a purpose in life. Everything feels hopeless and, and meaningless and just gray and, and black. It's a, it's a terrible time of year. How you doing, Mike? Uh, I'm doing a lot better than you, apparently. <laughs> I, I'm doing pretty great, actually. Um, it, it's to me, it's just a little dead zone uh, in between, uh, you know, after Christmas and uh, in between New Year's. So you're like waiting. You have one holidays ended, and then you're building up for another one. And this is the last podcast of 2018. Oh my god. I'm gonna miss you guys. <laughs> Until next week. And then I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I not, I don't actually feel that depressed. Um, I feel alright, I guess. I mean, the only kind of depression or bad feelings that I feel in life tend to come from me drinking too much alcohol and then feeling just emotionally depleted the next day. Well, that's what alcohol does. It's a depressant. Yeah, it God make damn you it. You're like the 50th person that's told me that that same exact <laughs> statement. Like, I don't already know that. Well, alcohol is a depressant, so that's why you feel depressed. I feel like these are the same people that, like, whenever someone says, uh, you know, uh, what is it, that thing that... um. Oh, God damn it. I'm having a brain freeze right now. Someone's getting triggered. <laughs> yeah, I, I am. Um, oh, it's it's like when someone says, I'm doing good. And, the, and then another person chimes in and goes, actually, you're doing well. And it's like, oh, Mr. Fucking Scholar over here. I don't do here. that. that that's, that's I'm not stupid. saying you did, Mike. But, but like you're that one, dangerously I, close to the category I of people can, who I do. Can see, I can see why you'd be pissed at that guy. Cause that's like, come on, man. That's semantics. I remember on the on the kids say the darndest things with um, now rapist Bill Cosby. <laughs> he he was like, well, Bob, I'm a doing good. And the kid was like, actually, you're doing well. And like everyone laughed. And it's like, shut up, little kid. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> don't don't act like you're this like fucking uh, grammar valedictorian. That was yeah. some 
that was some little everybody corrects people on that and make themselves seem like they know a lot about grammar but you get into like like diagramming a sentence and dangling participles and shit and let's see how smart you are then little oh mm -hmm. i'm not doing good i'm doing well you know it's like <laughs> and, and 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 yeah and i just i just well yeah i have so many feelings <laughs> well in case uh, anyone wants to know like why i'm doing uh, pretty great it's uh you know, I, I got all A's on my recent term nice. at, at WSU, so I got that. Uh, I've been doing well at work. Um, uh, apparently, it seems like they're going to keep me on. What? Uh, really? The hours, are, the hours are not as good as they were, and that's to be expected because uh, it's no longer the holiday season. Um, but... I mean, I heard from a manager who said that he doesn't see why not in terms of me staying on. And I checked the schedule uh, for next week. And a lot of the people who were hired uh, after me, they're no longer on the schedule. So I'm just doing the math here. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Putting two and two together, George. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Well, that's fantastic, um, man. That's great. That's great news that they're keeping you beyond your seasonal position, which yeah. I mean, you obviously like eh, from talking to you on the podcast, because that's the only time me and Mike talk because we don't actually like each other. But, you know, from talking to you on the podcast, uh, you seem like you go in there with a great attitude. You want, I do. You want to be there. Um, you want to be helpful and, and you seem to have a decent work ethic. So, yeah. I mean. What more? I've taken a lot of shifts too. Yeah. I've helped them out a lot recently. I did that this week. I I, I took a shift because a gal she she uh, had something come up. She's not able to uh, do her shift on Christmas Eve, so I took it. So I did a double shift on Christmas Eve. Uh, near the end of it, though, I was gassed. I had nothing left, man. It was <laughs> my brain was completely, totally fried. How long, um, how long my, did you work that day? Like I said 10 hours. It was oh, a hour? dual shift. So I did a 10-hour shift. That's but a long time. But the thing is, the near the end, like my brain was just fried because it was just like I, you know, you're looking at the register and you're you're saying things that are out of order. You know, you're like, "Oh, your your uh your total is going to be this and it's actually the change." And you're like messing up with the keypad. Yeah, it's it's bad. It's like it it, it is it, in a way. It's kind of like uh, it's and it didn't help either that I didn't get a whole lot of sleep the night before because of because you were excited you know, about Santa Claus. No, no, it, it's because of my damn cat. That's why. <laughs> uh, Mister, uh, wake me up early in the morning, ask for food, and then not shut up afterwards or or throw it up and then keep annoying me to feed him again because he ate it too fast oh and then my God. kicked it up. Yeah. That's <laughs> that, that that would be a big problem in my very routine based OCD household where I live by myself having uh -huh. some creature not only waking me up early, which is a big, is a big cosmic no-no in my life. You do, yeah. you do. Nobody wakes the Josh up earlier than when he wants to be awake. Yeah. Which apparently makes me a selfish asshole. Um, 
I didn't realize this, but uh, when you wake up late and later in the day, like I do, I wake up at like 1.30 p.m. every day because I'm a fucking DJ. Well, you can do it. Yeah, I don't I, see how that's being selfish. Oh, I don't but understand people that just argument. get so angry, and I think it, they're projecting like their inadequacies that like they didn't pursue their dream job, and now they're stuck having to wake up at the ass crack of dawn every day, and they look at me like, you fucking lazy asshole like oh, yeah. sleeping in until 1 30 uh-huh. and us working people have to wake up at 8 a.m it's like no you chose to wake up at 8 a.m because you chose to do that job and you know some people are morning people and they like doing that and well, I'm not, some people that's their dream job yeah and so, that's, and that's know, fine yeah. but i feel like a lot of people that's not their dream job and that's not where they want to end up in life and uh-huh. I don't know what to tell those people. And th- those people get very angry at me. And they're like, yeah, just roll out of bed whenever you feel like it. And it's like, um, wh- well, okay. So, so what? Well, how- first off, you're like, no, I can't, you know, roll out of bed whenever I feel like it because I still have to be up at a certain time, well, right? It's you still like, have to be up at a certain time. It's just not super early in the morning it's like i tell you i tell you what uh why don't i have you wake up at uh 2 30 in the morning and, and get out of bed and and start performing your job and if you're not performing it well i'm gonna start yelling at you and be like why are you performing this job so crappy well because it's the middle of the night and i was sleeping well i wasn't sleeping i don't go to bed until 5 30 or 6 a.m so you know exactly you're that's, that's no your thing yeah that's no excuse for you to be doing your job crappy right now sir or madam and yeah, that, what about the graveyard shift people? Yeah. Exactly. No love, no love for the gra- If you're working graveyard shift out there, comment in in our group and make me feel better about my life choices. And that group is uh go to Facebook and search Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries and the groups and join it. Or if you're already yeah. in there, uh, comment and just uh say, "You know what, Josh? I work the graveyard shift." And I guarantee you anybody who works the graveyard shift, they can attest to how lonely and isolating that shift is um you really have to find fellow graveyard shift people to be good friends with because any of the the nine to five people they just they just can't hang with you like when i'm free and available to do stuff usually uh they're going to bed unless i have a day off and they have a day off then there's this like weird like six hour window where we're both awake you know like yeah before either one of us are going <laughs> to bed and then we can hang out then maybe but yeah i don't know Besides or you're that. a night owl like me, and I don't really care. Yeah, yeah. There's people <laughs> there's like that, that too. too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there's people have have to be up in the morning, and they still go to bed like and only get four or five hours of sleep. I don't understand. I mean, some some people they say just the, their bodies need less sleep. I would I wish, man, that would be such a luxury to like just not require much sleep. I need so much sleep to feel like mentally stable. I haven't stable. need as much sleep as as I've had it before, but also I'm a, I'm a lot less depressed because I notice like when you're you're not exactly where you want to be, like you feel like something's missing in your life. You tend to just you know want to sleep. You don't want to wake up. Like it's not like you don't want to ever wake up. You just want to keep you know stay in the comfort of your own bed where it's warm and cozy and there's not anything you have to deal with. Yeah, uh, just so, put, just put life off as as long as yeah. you can by being asleep. Exactly. Yeah, I've had those I've had those times in my life, and that, folks, is it's not not healthy. It's not normal. And if you're feeling that way, you need to go see a doctor because yeah. there's or 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 suss out the uh, 
problem, the underlying problem, yeah. because that is not uh, that's not a good sign. It's that, not healthy either for you. Like too no. much sleep is actually not good for you. All right, so this is a podcast about the show Unsolved Mysteries. We don't always talk about Unsolved Mysteries, but God darn it, tonight we're talking about Unsolved Mysteries. Um, you can uh, like us on Facebook, join our group. I already probably said that earlier. Sorry, there's a lot of B-roll that I probably edited out just now. That you- I don't think you did. Well, I Mike, with the magic of editing, to these people <laughs> listening right now, they did not hear the 30 minutes we just rambled on about about <laughs> alcoholism and anxiety and, and my horrible Christmas experience that ended up ended up getting a little better. But if you want to hear any of that story, make sure you stick around to the very end of the podcast. I did not want to bore you guys with, uh, for those of you who are only here for the mysteries, I didn't want to bore you with all that. So uh, anyway, the first case we're going to be talking about this week is going to be the case of Lisa Kimmel, aka Lil Miss. What what uh, how you like that name for a vanity license plate, Mike? Lil Miss. It's 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 very uh, bland. It's it's pretty tacky. It just kind of or I I love how uh, <laughs> uh, the commentary uh, Robert Sack he says like. It's a spunky license plate. Yeah. yeah. A sassy little license plate that said <laughs> Lil Miss. Um, so, yeah. It just sounds like something like a name for like a spoiled dog or... A spoiled dog that old people named. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is that is a thousand percent. I can tell you there's a cultural shift now in, in names like Lil Miss... That is a hundred and ten percent an old person name that they oh, it would. Reminds me of uh, Shirley Temple or something like that too. Yeah, there is no millennial. Whatever your opinion is of millennials, there is no millennial that would name anything Lil Miss. Uh, it's just not like culturally. It's just not really a thing anymore. Well, unless it's a rapper, a SoundCloud rapper, <laughs> Lil Miss. <laughs> yeah, and Miss is talking about his failed career. Boom. Uh, miss anyway let me tell you let me break this uh, peep this if you will on a little used suspension bridge outside casper wyoming residents reported seeing an unexplained uh light lights rather in the early a ufo and a murder case yeah man getting all of it in there in the early morning hours of march 26 1988 josh was not born yet a few months later he would be though neither was i under the cover of darkness, a killer brought his victim to the bridge. After stabbing her repeatedly, he threw her into the chill waters of the North Platte River. Now, in typical Unsolved Mysteries fashion, this reenactment is creepy. It's uh, expertly shot in terms of uh, the night uh, sequences. This is actually from season one, and this is a nice little gem that I'm surprised we took so long to talk about yeah which i be honest is crazy because i do remember watching this on lifetime back in the day it was the little miss thing that stood out to me um Mm -hmm. you know so i do remember this one from my childhood as it were but yeah i just chris rogers man you know props to you man constant constant this is this is actually on amazon though oh whatever chris rogers is the real mvp here guys we we can all admit (laughs) that um but yeah uh I, I'm, I why were the first few seasons of Unsolved Mysteries so fucking epic and then I know. the rest of the show though still being good and still 
some of the later seasons having my the favorite. atmosphere and the mood changed. It did. I, I think it did, especially in the last few seasons. It was almost like mm-hmm. eh, it was getting kind of it's getting kind of iffy there. Some of them. It was almost like uh, because of the network changes and oh, stuff. Oh yeah, like that. that definitely had a lot to do with it. But man, I the think that's first, a big part of it. The first few seasons of this show were so fucking classic, and this uh, reenactment was uh, an example of that. Uh, people who bitch about the reenactments, if you see reenactments like this and have anything negative to say about it, it's like, like, what do you want from a show? You know, at that point, I have to almost ask the person that, like, what do you even like if you don't like that? Anyway, the victim was later identified as 18 year old Lisa Marie Kimmel from Billings, Montana. No relation to Jimmy Kimmel. (laughs) I don't think anyone was wondering that. She had been she had been sexually assaulted, then killed in a manner that suggested some kind of bizarre torture. Ugh. Lisa was last seen alive on the night of March 25th, and police believe that she was killed a few hours later. But what complicates the investigation is that many people claim to have seen Lisa Marie Kimmel or her car during a week when police believed that she was already dead. Oh. Now the uh, whole uh, bizarre torture thing, like we. You never find out what that was. Like he just he just says bizarre torture, and so that makes it even scarier if you think about it because it just allows your mind to play tricks on you or to just come up with what would have happened. And in a lot of ways, that's scarier than anything they really could have shown. Right. I mean, the reason that they like allude to it, but they don't actually describe it at all. It's almost like, oh my god, what happened? Mm-hmm. Um. So anyway, at the time of her murder, Lisa Marie Kimmel was living in Denver, Colorado, or apparently it's the proper way is Colorado. I, I apparently Colorado. Who cares? Yeah, right. <laughs> Mike, I love that. <laughs> I love that indignance. Who cares? You don't usually get that from Mike. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> On March 25th, she left town and headed for Kobe, Wyoming, to visit Cody. So not Kobe. Kobe? Whatever. <laughs> Some little... So like, Are you a Lakers fan or something? Whatever little white kid name they named Wyoming <laughs> after. Cody, Kobe, Colby, whatever. Toby. Uh, Cody, Wyoming to visit her boyfriend. According to her friend Ed Jarrock, that's kind of a cool last name, Lisa's car carried the spunky license plate Little <laughs> Miss. I almost feel like I need to look up the definition of spunky right now. Like, what is that? I mean, I, I kind of have a word. It, it's all right. Spunky is. Uh, I'm trying to think of exact the exact the way definition to of spunky. It. Courageous and determined. Huh, that's different than what I I, I usually look at it as. I see it's like uh, like peppy. kind of mischievous, you know, peppy, you know, sassy, uh, sassy, yeah, sexy, more similar to that. I don't know if well, sometimes <laughs> just throwing shit in there at this point. So uh, the plate was that was uh, the plan was that she was supposed to leave Denver and get to Cody to see me sometime late that evening. I talked to her about four thirty, and she thought she'd be in about midnight or something like that. Weather conditions were good, so Lisa should have made the trip to Cody in eight or nine hours. She was an eight or nine hour drive. Yeah, right. I don't know if I've ever been on the road for that long, honestly. She was expected at her boyfriend's house late February night. 
A Friday Her God. boyfriend lives that far away? Like, oh my God. Sorry, late Friday night. Dude, I am batting like not zero up at the reading plate today. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Your girlfriend lives eight or nine hours away? Uh, No, I can't because that would never be a reality in my world. Oh, you live eight. If someone lives like 30 minutes away, I'm like, well, it was nice talking to you. Um. So anyway, she was expected at her boyfriend's house late Friday night. But by Saturday morning, she still had not arrived. Ed Jarrock frantically telephoned authorities in three different states. Later, patrolman Alan Lesko of the Wyoming Highway Patrol reported that he stopped Lisa for speeding the night she disappeared. And this guy strikes me as just slightly creepy. He's like, uh, I was patrolling southbound on March 25th, and I noted a small car northbound at 88 miles per hour, according to my radar. I turned around and pursued the car. I stopped her near Orange Junction. She was well kept, kind of the person you'd like to have for a daughter. I'm just like okay, that is a bit weird. And I'm like, uh, uh wh- what? What does that mean, sir? Can you please elaborate on that? <laughs> Did was she was she coming out of your wife's vagina when you pulled her over? Is that why she looked like someone you'd like to have for a daughter? Because she was coming from your wife, which would then ma- anyway. I figured that would get more laughs, but maybe someone out there is cackling. Lisa's signature on the ticket verified her identity. It would be the last confirmed sighting of Lisa Marie Kimmel. As the week went on, without any word from her daughter, Lisa's mother began to worry. The outlook was looking a little grim, but even if that, even if the outcome wasn't as we hoped, we still needed to find her. On April 2nd, one week after Lisa disappeared, Greg Bradford, a mechanic who was spending his Saturday fishing on the North Platte River, brought the search for Lisa to a sad end. When I stepped up off the side of the bank, I looked over my shoulder and I saw the lady in the water. And then I remember when we were driving up from Cheyenne, they they said this young girl was missing from Montana. So I looked again and I said, oh my God, it must be her. Now, an interesting little uh, bit that's not mentioned here in this uh, sort of transcript is that he was talking about, before he even saw the body, like he was in this location and he just had this feeling, like he felt like somebody was hurt or somebody was dead, like he just had this sensation. Which I mean... And then he turns around and then boom. There have been people on this show before who've had those kind of feelings yeah like the guy who found the guy's skeleton in the cave behind the school buses like what the fuck where do you live where there's like a mount like a rocky like like it wasn't quite a mountain but it was like a hill a rocky hill and then there's a fucking hidden cave with a skeleton in there like geez man florida's so lame compared to everywhere else we got swamps though and mosquitoes and And criminals oh oh, yeah (laughs) we got all the criminals here Uh, So, Uh, police searched the area where Lisa's body was discovered. On an old highway bridge one quarter of a mile away, they found blood that was the same type as Lisa's. And this is an image that that really, I thought, was quite memorable. And I know it's, it's just a bridge with blood on it, but, like, it's just that image alone is just pretty chilling, if you ask me. I mean... It's like, you know, a bloody bridge. How many metal bands have already, like, probably named their, like, album that, like, bloody bridge, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So, because the bridge is so inaccessible and so seldom used, police concluded that the murder probably, the murderer probably lived in the area. 
Based on the eyewitness accounts of unexplained activity on the bridge, they estimated that Lisa was murdered early Saturday morning, roughly five hours after she was stopped for speeding. But soon, authorities began receiving information that complicated their investigation. Numerous eyewitnesses were reported reporting that they had seen Lisa's car. According to Sheriff Ron Ketchum of the Natrona County Sheriff's Department, some even claimed they had seen Lisa herself. Quote, We've had over a thousand sightings of this vehicle. A lot of them were from law enforcement officers. And we were diluged with them at the point that we thought they had gone to Canada. We had some sightings in Canada. One of the most reliable sightings occurred roughly 10 hours after Lisa was supposedly killed. Donna Kirkpatrick, the wife of a local county sheriff, reported that she had seen Lisa driving her car in the city of Buffalo, Wyoming. It was Saturday at noon and I noticed a little black sports car had pulled out right in front of me. Then I noticed a license plate. It was a Montana license plate with Little Miss on it. And at that point, I decided that I needed to see if the car went with whoever was driving it. I am absolutely positive there was a young gal driving it. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, folks, I've just decided at this point to give people, uh, when they're quoted as saying something, instead of saying such and such said, quote, I'm just going to give them a half-assed voice instead of saying all those <laughs> words. So just, just enjoy that. So another eyewitness reported seeing Lisa more than a day after police believed that she was murdered, but this sighting was in Casper, Wyoming, more than 100 miles away from Buffalo. Diana Houston was driving through Casper when a car with an out-of-state license plate caught her attention. It was Sunday afternoon, and I saw a Montana license plate on a vehicle. And being from Montana, it caught my eye. So I looked, and the license plate said, Lil Miss. I went by, I saw somebody with blonde hair driving and had on a yellow sweater. Lisa was last seen at 9 p.m. on a Friday night and it was reported and was reported missing by 9 a.m. Saturday morning. Yet there's another one, there was another witness though. There was this guy who who was working as at a as a convenience store clerk and uh which is I think was also a gas station. So he's over there and he sees that there's like the same car and like a, a woman that, that matches the description with this guy where they, they show the the sketch and he he's still talking about how like, oh, he was a small guy. He's very small. He was like uh, 130 five you know or 140 pounds and he had he didn't really have angular features or anything you know i i almost expected him to say like he was very androgynous <laughs> um oh yeah the, like the guy talking about the little guy in the car yeah. yeah he's like he's like he he he's like he definitely fit the car he didn't look like he was out of place <laughs> <laughs> he fit the car <laughs> i was like okay um, he wasn't. In other words, he wasn't fat. <laughs> he wasn't some. He was wide not. Load. He was not manly either. He was a very <laughs> tiny exactly. man. He was a very yeah. Peter Parker-like person. But then the guy who's in the car in the reenactment doesn't look like that. Like he just looks like a. He looks like he's got a mustache and everything. Well, of course he's it's got like, a mustache. Man, they dropped the ball with the with the casting there. That's for sure. Yeah. So. Uh, she was last seen 9 p.m. on Friday night and was reported missing by 9 a.m. on Saturday morning. Yet she was reportedly seen twice later that day and once on Sunday. If Lisa was alive, why hadn't she showed up at her boyfriend's or parents' house? 
And if she had been killed early Saturday morning, as police suspected, who was driving the car with Lisa's distinct license plates? And the update on this is uh, 14 years after Lisa Marie Kimmel was murdered, the Wyoming DNA database matched an inmate named Dale Wayne Eaton to the crime. When police searched Eaton's property, they found Lisa's car buried underground. Holy shit. Lisa Mm -hmm. had been held there for six days. Eaton was tried for murder and other charges. The jury found him guilty and he was sentenced to death. Damn. The sightings of Lisa Marie Kimmel were never explained. Lisa's parents were awarded Dale Eaton's property in a civil lawsuit and burned Mm -hmm. the buildings to the ground. Wow. On what would have been her 36th birthday. So they burned the buildings to the ground on Lisa's birthday. Jeez, man, that's that is drama. Yeah. Uh, here's a little bit more details on it. In 2002, DNA from Lisa's body was tested and linked to Dale Wayne Eaton, who was by then serving a sentence in prison on an unrelated weapons charge. He had been previously convicted of kidnapping at kidnapping a family at gunpoint in 1997. He was also charged with involuntary manslaughter in the death of his cellmate, Clay Palmer, but was acquitted. When questioned, his neighbors noted that around the time of Lisa's murder, he was digging a large hole on his property. Her car was found buried there. It was determined that she was held there for six days before she was murdered. He was then convicted of her murder and given the death penalty. However, his death sentence was overturned in 2014 after a judge found that he received an adequate defense at his trial. He is currently awaiting another sentencing hearing. The state plans again to seek the death penalty. Lisa's parents were awarded his property in a civil suit, burned the buildings down. Authorities were never able to explain the sightings of Lisa or her car, other than the witnesses were mistaken, even though they sounded so, they were like, I, you know, I, I, I'll bet on my life that that was her. Uh, Eaton is now considered a possible suspect in the Great Basin Murders, a series of unsolved murders throughout the Pacific Northwest that took place between 1983 and 1996. He is also a suspect in the disappearance of Amy Rowe Betkel. A subsequent investigation determined that he was in the area around the time of it. However, he has not been charged in her case or any other. Uh, I know this for a fact, though. He's a piece of shit. Yeah, they got this uh, one lady on here commenting on the uh, unsolved.com saying, This man lived on my property and my husband helped him find work for a year from 1992 to 94. So that's actually two years, but whatever. In uh, Victor Mountain, he drank daily and he said some crazy things, had a daughter with him that I took care of. Now it makes sense some of the things he said while he was drinking. He was pretty scary. He dated a woman that was scared of him. Also, she told me some really scary stuff, too, and I saw her very abused by him. I'm thankful that he didn't hurt my family now, knowing he was a murdering animal. I have no idea why he spared my family. We never knew he was this evil person capable of doing these things. When he talked while drinking, we thought it was the alcohol talking when he would start talking about the women he was with. My husband actually ended up fighting him in a bar. I'm so thankful to be alive after finding out what he has done to these victims. My family and I could have easily been his victims also. I'm not sure why he spared us. Maybe because I took care of his daughter and my husband helped him? He actually put him in touch with a church who set him up with a drywall job. Who knows how a monster thinks? I don't know. Only Dale can answer Well, I that. mean, think about it. I mean, there are a lot of instances where serial killers have uh, 
been heavily involved in the community and uh, stuff like that. I mean, for instance, look at the BTK killer. He was a member of the church community. Yeah, those he are was more a valued member of the community. Those are more like murdering sociopaths. These guys are just straight up dumbass redneck murderers who just I feel like yeah. the only reason he didn't murder them is because they were useful to him. They were yeah. they were providing him some kind of uh I, I could see him having some sociopath tendencies too. I mean, most of most of these uh tend to have that sort of a little bit of that. Maybe not to the extent i don't know i don't know if like sociopaths a, get into like redneck bar fights though yeah that's more of like a just a redneck maybe if murder. they get drunk maybe they seem a lot more calculated than that yeah anyway that's the case of, so this uh, is a good case yeah. though um the uh sightings of the car are definitely interesting it's like yeah but i mean honest, honestly though i mean like it's it's possible that more than one person can have that as a vanity plate, yeah, you know. In the same car? I mean, I don't know. That I mean that's a pretty big coincidence. It's, it's same even car, crazier that they buried same license plate. The dude buried the yeah. fucking car. Like yeah. I would have never thought Dude, what are these fucking cats doing under my house right now? Are they fucking or fighting? It doesn't I can't <laughs> tell. And it's just like Okay. Yeah! I, like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> crazy ass bitches so if they're <laughs> if they're in heat you trust me you'll know okay uh it is such a screeching irritating fucking noise that's what's been going on so that's a possibility i've i really well, i hope that the female cats that are in heat oh my god it is so fucking annoying i really hope the, it, the i hope the possum breaks this shit up it's just like yeah it's it's constant Beautiful. and the, basically it translates to fuck me <laughs> fuck me <laughs> fuck me <laughs> oh man so it's basically like every guy at a bar pretty much <laughs> imagine he just walks in the guy walks I mean, in the bar as well. he's, just, he's just like fuck me just do it I mean, there, there'd have to be at least a few women out there that would respect their, like, honesty and their directness, you know? Like, well, at least he's not, like, talking about his career and his interests for <laughs> two hours before making a move. He's just, like, right up front with it. And she'd just be like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll <laughs> fuck you. Let's go. <laughs> All right. All right. So so our next Seven case. went off the rails. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> As usual. I'm fucking hungry. I'm blaming on that. So, the, the next uh, case we're talking about, and the last case we're talking about in this podcast, is the case of Dan Tondevold. Um, or Tondevold, or whatever the hell it is. Toblerone. Toblerone. <laughs> oh my god, there they go again. These fucking... You're interrupting my podcast! <laughs> I don't hear it, at least. Yeah. So there's that. Well, yeah. Unlike my cat, if he starts speaking up, then 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 you can catch that. But uh, Dan Tondevold, uh, he's a con man, and uh, he likes to put on this really terrible accent. It's not believable at all, which makes sense because he was an actor. Uh, he was he was in the theater club when he was a teenager. So, like much of the American South, the state of Tennessee is dotted with majestic estates, 
Ellen McClung Berry lived in one of them. Known as Berry Mount, it was perched on a mountaintop outside of Knoxville, a city founded by her great-grandfather, her great-great-grandfather. And Arthur Ballard was Ellen McClung Berry's friend, and he's quoted here. I think she would have been considered definitely one of the local grand dames of the old school. And probably there were not many. That means you can live on the mountain like she did and have everybody come to you like Muhammad. I, I it's love, just that simple. I love that description. Like yeah. th this guy's like painting her out to be this like this very, uh, you know, I don't know, like uh, Elizabethan type figure. Uh -huh. This very, um, I like the guy too. This very just, like this this dandyism that's used in describing her, like this, like there is some kind of like realistic royalty in the United States, you know, and and this is her, mm -hmm. and she's this madam and this dame, and you didn't, she didn't come to yeah. you, you came to her and her manor on the hill. Yeah. I don't know. I I, I just th find I, that I loved funny. how a matter of fact he was. Yeah. So one of the people who came to the mountain back in 1978 was Dan Tondevold, a mysterious man who a mysterious man who claimed to be from Denmark. Uh, and he wasn't at all because he could not pull off the accent to save his life. Uh, that that was better. I'm a Tondevold, I like the Tobraron. You sound like what what are those moon men or something from, from Mike, don't worry about it. Just keep going. You sound like the, one of the moon men from uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. So he had corresponded with Ellen Berry for 15 years, but the true nature of the relationship was unclear. Sometimes the 85-year-old Ellen said Tondevald was her go godson. Other times she said that he had been a friend of her late son, Hugh. Arthur Ballard said he didn't completely trust him. I had the strangest gut feeling that this kid was bad news. But he was making Ellen happy. If he was, in fact, a friend of her late son, Hugh, for lots of reasons, I was happy that she was happy, and at least somebody was on the mountain with her at night in case she fell or got sick and could get help. As usual, the creep uh, is obviously a creep, and somebody who is friends with or knows the person who's getting uh, screwed over is saying, like, I, I, yeah, I thought he was a bad guy, and, well... It's one of those things where it's like, uh, it, it, could you have tried to do more? Like, maybe talk to her some more about it? Could, you know, warn her about some things? Like, maybe she might not have been taken for as big of a ride? It's one of those things that's like, well, I did, yeah, it's like that last one we talked about with, like, the husband of, of this girl. Or, or, no, the girl was dating the guy. And, oh, I, I didn't think he, I thought he was bad news. I didn't really try. He seemed like he was uh, not right for her, but she was happy. So <laughs> it's like, speak up more. Yeah. Seriously. Whisper it into Marshall, someone's ear, at least. Like, hey, yeah. this guy might be a piece of shit. <laughs> Marsha Robinson was Miss Barry's former aide, and she's quoted here. He was taking the place of her son. He looked like her son, and apparently, and I know that was Mrs. Barry's attraction to Dan, and that he was playing that role. I don't... Attraction? Why would you use that word? That's <laughs> just a ill-advised word to use there. Because when I first heard that, I was like, it, are they uh, an item? Like, but then it, they're not really? So, like, why? That, that, that really confused me when I first saw his segment. Well, you know, old ladies are kind of fucking... 
when you get to that age, man, you just don't care about like, uh, you know, oh, I'm I'm the lady. The man has to come talk to me. They don't give a shit at that, that point. They're just like, come here, young man. You're beautiful. Give me a kiss. The Im but if it looks like her son, yeah, and that's why that's, she's attracted yeah, to him. Slightly that, incestuous, but you know, it's it, yeah. it's the South. I mean, you know, we can't forget that. And these so kind of things. This were role impressed. was also a role that needed to be filled. Ellen Berry's only child was her son, Hugh. At the age of 18, Hugh killed his grandmother in a rage over his inheritance Alrighty. with a shotgun. Okay. Well, Hugh, man, you might need to talk later on. A judge ruled that Hugh Berry was mentally incompetent to stand trial. Rumor has it that Hugh was given a lobotomy. And then sent to live in Mexico, where he died. I fucking see. I, I love. I love shit like this, like that old-fashioned, like you know, old money, really wealthy old lady, and she has these like really dark family secrets. Like there's like a lobotomized, murderous son that no one speaks of. I mean, yeah. that's a thing of legend, right there. I love this kind of stuff. That's pretty fucked up, though. Like they go straight to the lobotomy. Well, that's what they, they, like they that's what they thought that's what they did back that's then. That's what they yeah. thought was the best way to deal with um, you know, habitual kind of criminal people. I mean, fuck in North Korea, you 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 fuck up too bad, they they kill your whole lineage. Like they But think about it, like even okay, like if you keep doing it, this is his first time. I guess it was heinous enough to where they felt like it warranted it. I don't know. I don't think it's right. I mean, lobotomies are they're those are god those are draconian you know like if you if that's where they basically shove a fucking knife up the side of your eyeball into your brain and cut the part that controls uh what does it cut like what your behavior or your emotion or something yeah something like that i forgot exactly what it was but it's definitely a part of your brain that gets cut and uh you, and there and later on like they would actually have these machines uh that they would like strap you in cover your eyes up and then have like this drill go right in the back of your head. Oh god damn. Yeah, like I said, very fucking draconian process. So when her husband passed away twenty seven years later in February of nineteen seventy eight, Ellen was left all alone. Almost too conveniently, the mysterious stranger from Denmark stepped in to fill the void in Ellen Barry's life. Dan moved into her guest house and quickly took over the operation of her estate which is a mistake. Ellen signed anything that Tondevald put in front of her. In fact, according to Arthur Ballard, in April of 1982, she granted him power of attorney. That is the ultimate mistake. Never do that. Ever. Unless, you, unless there's a background check involved and you know for sure that this guy is legit. I don't even know, like, all the things you can do if somebody has power of attorney. Oh, well, everything, pretty much. I know. You know in these fraud cases that we, we uh, see, where they sign over power of attorney? That means they could just, you know, go through all your bank accounts, everything, just pretty much just, t just bleed you dry of everything. Uh, that, why, why is that an ability that... Uh, that that is something that can be done even if it doesn't seem like another person should ever be able to get that kind of control over someone else i think the reason why that exists is you know for someone who is older they they're not all there 
And so they give power of attorney to somebody who can manage manage things. Then they should almost have like they, a, they should almost have like an age limit. Or well, I guess she was old yeah. as fuck. Yeah, yeah. There probably is an age limit on that. I don't know. That's something I'd have to look into. If someone feels like piping up on the uh, group and telling me more about that. But then again, sometimes it's just people uh, they granted power of attorney to someone else because they just don't want to deal with it. And uh, they take a risk and let someone else take the power so then they can do all these other business deals and stuff. But they also have, they put a lot of trust in those people. That's why you have to make sure you're putting power of attorney into somebody who's legit and is actually trustworthy. I would think a family member, like a trusted family member would be the only time you would really ever want to do that. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. So Dan's quoted again. He said, she was a willing pigeon, so to speak. Other people, I think, tried to tell her that there was something wrong that just didn't make sense. Possibly that he was a carn artist. I don't know, but she ignored it. And that's, there you go. You know, he might have tried to tell her and she ignored it because she just believed that he was, he was a good guy. But in reality, he was not at all. This this has such a grand Budapest hotel feel to it. This story. (laughs) So in 1984, Dan talked Ellen into taking a winter vacation in Charleston, South Carolina. Before they left, he secretly placed a classified ad for a chauffeur. Oh, this is good. The ad requested only men who were signal and asked that the applicants submit a photograph. Yeah, this is golden. That fu- the <laughs> the newspaper article uh, or the the classified ad or whatever. Uh, it's it goes male houseman chauffeur. Valid non-accidental license, valet for East Tennessee County or country estate, two-member family, other staff includes cook and housekeeper, non-smoker, single, non-fat. <laughs> love that. <laughs> non-fat. Like, that is the most... Yeah. Uh, that is the funniest, like, like, he's trying to not be offensive, but it's totally, cu- you know... Totally exactly. coming off as offensive. Like, that is fucking hilarious. Like, he's just like, non smoker, single, non fat, cannot be fat. It's like, I will not accept any fat fucks in my estate. It's like, I'm, I'm not against fat people. I'm just, I have a <laughs> preference towards those who are, how do you put it, non fat. <laughs> And just a, I've never heard that term used in this context before. And and why does he? Because normally when you see non-fat, you just say oh non-fat yogurt or non-fat this or you know in terms of like fat-free food. You don't you don't see this used in the context of a human being, right? Uh, that's it's why it's so, so funny because it's like he's totally trying to like. It's like he's trying to be he's trying to be nice and skirt around the fact that like, hey, no fat fucks allowed. And <laughs> and I, I just I get the sneaking suspicion that this this male chauffeur who must be single and non fat. I feel like this is more for Danny boy uh, and his own pleasure rather than uh, possibly you know, or also uh, for a lookalike. Yeah, which we will later get into. But yeah, good point. So, uh, as a, as a little uh, insurance policy. So, it continues, as a single non-fat and must like the privacy of the country. 
Write with personal details and include picture if possible. Will be in Charleston interview this weekend. Experienced, not necessary. Will train. So at the end of their four months in Charleston, Ellen and Dan made plans to return home. She and a female companion would take a flight while Tondevald drove the Mercedes back to Barrymount. When they arrived home on March 31st, 1985, there was no sign of the Mercedes or of Dan Tondevald. And the telephone and all the other utilities at Barrymount had been cut off. When she checked with her accountant, she learned that the bank was planning to foreclose on the house and that her checking and savings accounts had been drained. Mm. Seemingly overnight, Ellen Barry was virtually bankrupt. Tondevald had even borrowed almost $85,000 against Barrymount. For the first time in her life, Ellen had a mortgage to pay. And for the first time in her life, she had no way to pay it. How's, how's that got to feel? Like, you don't even know what the definition of broke is your whole life. It's just a, non, a non-reality to you. It's not a non-issue. It's something you never have to worry about or think about or even think about worrying about. And now yeah. you're in this position. Like, God, that's like... How many, how many like heart attacks are you having as the old lady? You know, I, I mean, ugh. it's just one of those situations where you are not prepared for it at all. To say the least, Mike, to say the least. Yep. Um, and uh, I wanted to mention this line, which I don't believe is, is mentioned here, but I, I, I love how I love this, uh, particular exchange by Robert Stack where he's saying Dan was not only running Barry Mount but running her (laughs) (laughs) a clever stack line yes so true so when the okay so they got the ride so meanwhile Tondevald was 100 miles south of Charleston at an exclusive resort living in high style on Fripp Island South Carolina after he ran up huge bills on Ellen Barry's credit cards, he was told by the front desk that all the cards were over their limit. The next day, I liked that reenactment um, where yeah. they they show him uh, the you know the uh, guy at the uh, front desk, the clerk or whatever the fuck they're called, the uh-huh. bellhop. I don't know any of these fucking term clerk terminologies. They got a specific name that they're called. I think it's a clerk. I don't think it's a clerk, but whatever. Anyway, desk clerk. He's he's like. He's like, oh, I'm terribly sorry, Mr. Whatever he was calling himself. I don't think he was actually British. Like, he was just like a normal guy. Just let me dream, Mike. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm terribly sorry, sir. I'm going to need some form of payment. And then Tondervald was like, oh, yes, yes, of course, of course. Let me go to my suite and get you a check. I will pay you immediately. Yeah. And then he goes to his suite and they go there and they just find a suicide note. <laughs> Like, wow, that that took a real 180 real quick. Like, oh, yes, yes, I will be requiring a larger suite to fit my accommodations. Um, okay, sir, I ask that you do need to pay us. Yes, yes, I will be right back. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. I don't buy that, though. No. I do not. No, no. I do not think that I wouldn't be making light of it so much if that's what what I thought truly happened. Which I don't. So, he ran up these huge bills, and the next day, a handwritten suicide note and will were found in his suite. Two two weeks later, in a swampy, deserted area of Fripp Island, a man's body was found. He'd apparently shot himself 
and the left temple. An antique gun, which belonged to Ellen Berry, was found a few inches from the body. The dead man carried no identification, but he did carry Ellen Berry's credit cards. The body was partially decomposed, but the coroner brought in a resort security guard to identify it. He identified the man as Tondevald. Tondevald's death was ruled a suicide, but the body was immediate, and the body was immediately cremated, just as he had requested in his will. But according to Officer Dean Smith, the police are not sure that the man found in the swamp was Dan Tondevald. I'm not sure he's dead. Nobody that knew him identified him. You know, the coroner found him. A police officer and a security guard said, yeah, that's him. And he hadn't seen him, but just by driving by in a little security shack. That is really bad. I mean, uh, that officer, it, he was definitely harboring a little bit of uh, ill will towards the department there like with that statement he was just like oh come on <laughs> nobody knew him identified him you know the coroner found him a police officer and a security guard said yeah that's him but he hadn't actually seen him they just like thought oh yeah he did see him but he just saw him drive by yeah I, yeah when I just see people drive by I really do remember their face very well don't you? Oh, yeah. Like, it just burned right into my memory. Yeah, totally. I can fucking meet someone. Uh, like, I, I met someone one point, uh, and I saw them, like, not only that night, but, like, well, I, I hung out with them a lot that night. And then I, like, I might have saw them the next day, if I'm remembering correctly. And to this day, I can't remember what their fucking face looks like. I, I To be full disclosure, I, I like, had relations with this person and I don't remember what their face looks like. I mean, granted, I'm a slight level dumber than your average person, but still that's, uh, you know, I'm, you know, it's, I doubt people when they act like they have these amazing memories of shit, your brain kind of contorts facial, you know, faces and what you think people look like to serve a certain purpose. Like if you're, you know, being interviewed by a police officer or something like that, you know, especially if they're another race and that's been like a proven thing that like uh -huh. people of different races have a harder time identifying other races like they they tend to uh classify them as all like looking similar and that's not mm -hmm. even like that old asian stereotype that's like black people white people like anytime they're asked to identify someone of a different race they they never have as good of a job doing it as if it were their own race so I don't know. Do what you will. Do or, what you will with that. Or, you know that that ties into the Lisa Kimmel case. Like those people who say that they believe that one hundred percent that they saw Lisa. They might have seen a woman who looks similar. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, her description is pretty broad for American yeah. women. So. Ballard is also suspicious. Well, you can't negate the possibility that he did indeed kill himself. That's possible. I just don't believe it. It doesn't make sense to me that somebody who went to all that trouble would get to get all that money and to be as nefarious about the whole thing from the beginning to end as he was, was out to kill himself. Right. Agreed. A month after the cremation, Arthur Ballard found a copy of Tondevald's classified ad for a chauffeur. Now, I would find it ridiculous that he would need to put an ad in the Charleston paper for Shafour or Berrymount. You can get them in the area, I'm sure, just as easily. And I suddenly realized that maybe he was looking for a lookalike. Ballard is convinced that Tondevald remained in South Carolina not to hire a Shafour, but to find a victim. 
the lookalike would have been the person he ultimately killed, and he just sort of scooted off to wherever he had planned to go. The reenactment, I thought, was a little bit eerie. I mean, just think about the, the situation. Like, oh, you're, you're, you're with this guy, and you're taking this job from this classified ad, and uh, he says that, you know, oh, you're going to you know be a chauffeur, I'm going to pay you well at this at this uh, mansion and oh, just take care of my dogs. And then he just pulls out a gun and, you know, just shoots the guy. I like, I mean that, that, you know, that'd be awful. Yeah. Yes. That, that, but then, it, then, it, then again, probably shouldn't respond to ads. Yeah. Like that. I mean, you know, <laughs> It's it, it's it's the same exact thought I have whenever I go on Craigslist and the very few times I've gone on like the help wanted section just to kind of see, you know, is there some kick ass job that that I'm missing out on that I could potentially find on Craigslist? Um, and yeah, you know, you're reading the descriptions on the website and it's just like, you know, they're wanting to meet me at some warehouse on the on the north side of town, <laughs> yeah. like. Ah, uh, this could very well be legit, like a legit upstart business, or I could get raped and murdered. Uh, either one is a just as likely of a chance, so I'm going to not do that. But other people yeah. don't have those reservations, you know? Well, especially uh, after the Craigslist murders, like even more so after that. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. But I mean... I'm sure, you know, like, what, what, single white female, that movie, wasn't that about some murder? That was a classified ad, yeah. yeah. classified I'm sure, I think after that movie. Roommate. Yeah, yeah. after the, that, those kind of movies came out, it kind of put the fear in people, as it should, you know? I mean, yeah, be, be, uh, be weary, be mindful, have your wits about this kind of stuff. So, Ballard is convinced that Tondevald remained in South Carolina, uh, and the authorities still believe that, but the authorities, though, they still believe that Tondevald committed suicide. Yet there's a shadow of a doubt which sparked a disturbing theory. Kurt Copeland is the coroner of the Beaufort County, South Carolina Police Department. The idea is that Dan Tondevald is, in fact, Mr. and Miss Barry's son, who is supposed to have died in Mexico. A very easy way to bring somebody back under an assumed name to get off the hook after having shot and killed his grandmother. Which this has proven to be, it's a juicy theory, but it's too juicy, and, it, and it's it's proven it's since been proven to be incorrect. No one really knew who Dan Tondevald was or where he came from. Then a search of Ellen Berry's papers turned up his resume. It listed his hometown as Las Vegas, Nevada. A yearbook from the Las Vegas High School proved that in 1951, Dan Tondevald was a member of the senior class and president of the Thespian Club. The rumor that Dan Tondevald and Hugh Barry were the same person was finally put to rest. Ellen McClung Barry lived out her final years in a small apartment near Knoxville. No one knows exactly how much money she lost to Dan Tondevald, but estimates run into the millions. Authorities believe he may have transferred the money to accounts in France or Denmark. Surprised they don't believe that he might be hiding out in Florida somewhere. Yeah, no, he probably is. <laughs> <laughs> so what what are your theories in Dan Tonneville? Do you think he killed himself? No. No, absolutely not. This guy's too cutting cunning uh and witty to do that. And you know, you see from these past like I, I mentioned the past unsolved mysteries cases a lot whenever we're talking about stuff like this. 
Because I really do feel like you need to look at the past a lot of times and behaviors of your typical crook to kind of, I think that's kind of police work 101 is to kind of get the profile of the kind of people who do this stuff. These are not people who typically um, are interested in suicide in any way, shape or form. These are people who are self-preservationist to the nth degree. Um, they are all about uh, exploiting anybody around them and trying to preserve themselves as long as possible. Um, it, it's rare that um, you get these kind of fraudster con artists who truly like, oh, the jig's up, jig is up, I'm going to kill myself. You know, that's normally not the M.O. of these people. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible, no. but... Um, yeah, I mean, all the elaborate, and, and I mean, like, having to deal with the, being around the old lady and all that shit for all that time, and then, you, you know, all to just, you know, kill yourself, I, I don't know, man, this guy had a plan, and him being a foreigner, you know, like, he could have very easily left. He's not really a foreigner, though. <laughs> oh, so I'm sorry, I brain farted on that. Uh, um... Yeah, he claims to be a foreigner. Like I said, I'm hungry right now, so ig ignore any ignorant or stupid things Josh, I say. Josh, you're not yourself when you're hungry. I know. I surely don't feel that way. <laughs> I, w I wish I had a Snickers. I could I could toss your way, but I don't. Yeah, I, I need something more substantial. I'm debating on whether I go to Taco Bell, which is right down the road, or if I drive uh -huh. a little further to get a Jersey Mike's turkey sub. I don't. Ooh, I don't know. If you're really hungry, you might want to go with the the sub. Yeah, but talk. Don't they deliver? Uh, they they do through this food app thing. They don't have like a native delivery. I miss Jersey Mike's, man. I used to get that a lot when I was in Oklahoma Dude, City. Dude, yeah, like that, it's good. It's just amazing. It is. Yeah, they cut the meat right off the the ham chunk. It's like way fucking better than Jimmy John's. Yeah, oh yeah, like Jimmy John's is the most flavorless cardboard crap ever. Like I don't know how people eat eat Jimmy John's like I think that's I don't mind their beach club and that's because they slather it with guacamole and I have cucumbers and I have some extra stuff but like if you try to get anything that doesn't have guacamole yeah there's nothing there's no there's absolutely no flavor to it yeah um, I think they they have to build their whole like shtick on like oh we're really fast with delivering stuff they are I mean that's that's true but that's you know it's like yeah well your stuff sucks so you know yeah i guess you have to have something you know and your owner uh, likes to illegally hunt uh endangered animals and, and so, lay yeah. and lay on their bodies naked which is one picture i saw he had killed like a fucking i didn't know he did that naked he killed like, some i think fuck, he killed like man? a shark or something and he was like laying on the shark's body like butt naked it was really fucking disturbing how much you want to bet he probably fucked that shark he, probably god if that shark was alive man it would have it would have made ground beef out of that motherfucker <laughs> i still and so if there was some kind of weird parallel dimension where you could have like say you could put a shark in a grizzly bear in outer space where or some kind of <laughs> some kind of level playing field like who would win out of that oh my god because you think like yeah the grizzly bears got arms and the strength and the claws but man if that sh those sharks they whip their heads around they're quick if that shark's mouth gets anywhere near you you are fucked with a capital i would say F. great white would probably take out a bear great white in that situation in it'd be, space. that's why it'd be interesting <laughs> well yeah because they can well i don't know 
it maybe not. How about like just in a in a situation where it's on an equal plane? Well, that's field. what I'm talking about. Like it doesn't have to be outer space. Like just an area that's voidless where both can move equally. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking like uh, I don't know. That's that's why I feel like it'd be a good match. Purgatory. <laughs> because you know, I don't know. I know bears are strong, but are they strong enough to like? Like, if the bear grabbed the shark around his midsection and was able to, like, hold that bear still, or hold the shark still. I mean, like, let's, like, compare the biggest shark to the biggest bear. Isn't, like, the biggest shark bigger than the bear? I don't know. See, that I don't know about. So, going back to the case here, I got one little uh, last bit to, to talk about here. Um, this is actually from the sitcoms online message board, and... Someone has actually met. She they mentioned that uh, Dan Tondevald was their great uncle, and he was uh, their grandma's brother. The stories they heard about him from her were a lot different than this. And she's like, "It's crazy. My family has been in contact with the show, and it was a shock to the family when we saw it. We thought he was just missing. Unfortunately, my grandma passed away, and we never knew what happened to him." And another bit of uh, stuff here, another bit bit of, not really trivia, but uh, anecdote here that was worth mentioning, was that Dan T there's a Dan Tondevald from Las Vegas who was convicted of extortion in 1954. Pleads guilty to extortion in Las Vegas. Dan Tondevald, 20-year-old Las Vegas high school graduate, will appear before Judge A.S. Henderson January 21st for sentencing after he entered a plea of guilty to a charge of attempting to extort $1,200 from a local businessman. Tondevald admitted his guilt as he appeared in district court Tuesday. His intended victim, Roy Quenzer, a master baker, he had told police that he didn't even know the youth, and court attaches said that uh, Taché said that Tondevold may be committed to a special hospital for mental treatment as a condition of probation. So, I definitely do feel that this is a guy who more than likely has extorted a lot of money and possibly even more than uh, of what is indicated here with uh, Barry. You know, with Barry Mount. Barry Mount! Barry! With Ellen Barry. So, because uh, he seems like that type of guy who probably extorted even more money and just hasn't been convicted of any of these other crimes because he's so slick. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm, uh, I'm having a clock out of this podcast at this point. I'm fucking starving. Uh, if I didn't take <laughs> that phone call from one of the guys I used to work with, or I guess I still kind of work with him. He's a fellow DJ and, we wanted to piss and moan about uh, the wedding DJ company we work for um, because they haven't been giving us anything for work in the past six months at least, just very meager. And, you know, it's always fun to bitch and moan with your coworkers about, uh, you know, your grievances with a certain company that you work for. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we started this podcast a little late and it's, it is way past Joshie's lunch, lunch time. Um, dinner time. Well, yeah, dinner time, technically. Um, so yeah, uh, that is the podcast. If you want to consider supporting us on Patreon, you will get this podcast early. Uh, you will hear bonus segments on there, and um, you can um, re request stuff for us to cover. 
You can do that by going to patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. Um, me and Mike are on YouTube if you want to catch more of me and Mike separately, but oh, so equally. And that is uh, Mike's Facebook page or YouTube page. Fucking phone. Turn on vibrate. <laughs> Facebook. Mike's uh, YouTube page is youtube.com slash OCP communications. He's a movie guy. He uh, talks about movies. Mike, what was the last movie you, you reviewed? Hook. Loved that movie. God, I love that movie. I really hate the people who say that movie sucks or doesn't hold up. Were you one of those people, Mike? No, I love that movie. I've loved that film ever since I was a kid. I, I still love the film. It, it's, uh, for what it is, I feel it's uh, it does a really good job. I, I The concept is brilliant. The idea of a what-if scenario, what if Peter Pan grew up and he became afraid of heights and became a cutthroat pirate of sorts as a lawyer and stuff like that, and he, he uh, lost track of his inner child. Um, the casting is, is as good as you could possibly ask any film to be casted. Uh, Dustin Hoffman is, is so much fun as Hook. Uh, Robin Williams is perfectly cast as both Peter Banning and Peter Pan. Uh, I, I, the production and art design Phil is Collins, amazing. Phil Collins Phil as the Collins detective. The, can't, as a detective. Can't forget Sue Studio yeah. himself. <laughs> one of my heroes. Uh, Bob Hoskins as Sami. I even I even thought Julia Roberts was good, despite the fact that she was dubbed Tinker Hell because <laughs> she was such a uh, uh, pain in the ass to work with. Oh, really? But she was also dealing with a lot at that time. Her relationship with Kiefer Sutherland had crumbled and so she was dealing with a lot and the role of Tinkerbell was very isolating because she was in a room uh, with a blue screen for a lot of the time and uh, that really got to her and her mental state was already in a bad place uh, she also ended up even getting hospitalized for exhaustion at one point Holy shit. more than likely because it was just mental exhaustion because she's just dealing with so much stress you didn't really see that on screen, so I, I think was just, she was definitely a real trooper. That's for sure. Um, I don't get why Steven Spielberg hates the film. Like recently, he said like he's proud of making it, but it's only after Robin Williams died, because before that, like he he always was saying that he wasn't a fan of the film. Um, I know initially one of the plans to do the movie was gonna have like a Peter Pan film, but like starring. Michael Jackson as Peter Pan. Oh God! And he was gonna do the music. Can you imagine if Dude, that actually that happened? That would have been so creepy. <laughs> he, I mean that because okay, if it, it wouldn't have been creepy if Michael Jackson just played the role like just himself. It, but you know, like he would ham that shit up because it's Peter Pan. Uh -huh. That's like his fucking hero. Yeah, he loves Peter Pan. Yeah, that was a great movie. I love that movie has a magical, whimsical quality about it. Yes, it's a magical film. The score by John Williams is easily <sighs> one of his of best. Of course, John Williams did the score for that. Oh, God. Can that man do any wrong musically? Jesus. I would say a lot of his recent Star Wars scores have been pretty bland, but that's because they've just been reusing cues from Star Wars, and then like any new cues he's doing are just kind of generic. But I don't know if that's entirely on him. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it, it's it's like wow, finally, <laughs> it's like oh my god, it's a film that 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 Josh has actually seen. Yes, and, I have seen it, Mike. Loves. I have. I have seen and loved. Yeah, I mean, you kind of have to get the movies in when I was a kid. That's that's when you got to get them to me because yeah. now. I, well, it's a nineties. It's a nineties uh, kid. It's a film. fucking classic. A lot of nineties kids love that movie. Yeah, it's a cult classic. I don't understand why it has such bare bones treatment on home video like this is a film that should get a special edition with like a feature like documentary because there's so many people who love the film um and easily the best thing dante bosco has done uh in terms of acting live action anyway is that Rufio? He's done a lot of voice work yeah oh, okay oh yeah yeah i don't know what else he's done besides this honestly but that's not <laughs> surprising that i wouldn't know that um that's cool. So yeah, check Mike's uh, channel out if you want to hear more about that. Um, my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Um, the last video... Wasn't your last video just talking about why you haven't done anything? No, no. The last video I did was uh, my biggest flop uh, ever is the, the lowest performing video I've ever done. And it is... Um, the video about uh, is David is actor David Arquette a legit pro wrestler, and um, I will leave that up to you. If you watch the video, he's certainly been involved in professional wrestling, but I'll let you decide if you think he's a professional. And one of the worst moments in wrestling yes, history. Yes, he was part of one of the worst moments in at least WCW wrestling history, um, and was kind of hated for that, and is to today to this day still kind of hated as a uh, wrestler. So I did a whole video on that. I figured uh -huh. it would be a really interesting, uh, informative, and entertaining thing. You know, this. I think the I think the reason why the video flopped so hard is because no one gives a fuck about David Arquette. And yeah. even, well, you know, and probably the same amount of people don't really give a fuck about professional wrestling. I was catering to a very specific audience well, with that one. Yeah, there's 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 more people out there who actually do care about uh, wrestling. Yeah. It's just they, they really don't give a sh shit about David Arquette. And also, if they do, it's one of those things where they've, uh, the fucking WCW story. We've heard that a million times already. Yeah. And... A lot of the wrestling stuff, it's like a key, it's like a niche audience that like takes a bit to get going. And then there's like only like a handful of channels that really keep getting uh, followers. I will say this, though, if you're a fan of wrestling and even if you're not and you're just a fan of like really entertaining podcast style videos, check out OSW Review. Like those guys are hilarious uh it, it's it's a blast to 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 listen to them do commentary for wrestling shows it is so much fun cannot recommend them enough so definitely go check them out if if you're a fan of wrestling and even if you're not you just want to have a good time yeah i mean this video was this video that i did was like a prime example as to you know perhaps uh, staying in my lane would be a smarter, you know, yeah. sta sticking with well, music I mean, I or video this. games. I do a, a review of a movie I like, and I don't get nearly as many uh, views. I rant on a film, and I, I, I seem to automatically get a thousand views, <laughs> at least. Yeah, I haven't found the formula. I ha I and, th and then some people will, you know, people will leave comments on a review that's like negative and be like, why are you always negative? Why do you always hate everything? That's, that's all like, you're watching, bitch. You're only watching my negative not, shit. Yeah, 
Yeah, you're, you're not watching, clearly seeing the other positive reviews that I posted. I have three. And I have three types of videos on my channel. I have the one that is a hit as soon as I hit upload, and those are fucking. I can count on one hand. Rare. I yeah, have. Me I too. have the ones that bomb that get maybe in their lifetime 250 views, and then I have those strange anomaly videos. Slow burn. The slow burn video. Where it looks like it's going to be a flop at first, but steadily over time, it just builds and builds. And I, those are most of my videos that have a lot of views. They were all slow burns. So like my prog, when prog went pop video, one of my more prouder videos I've made recently, I knew I put a lot of work into it and figured it wasn't going to get a lot of views at first, but I kind of knew it was going to be a slow burn video. And sure enough, like every day it gets like five views, but they're consistent every single day. There's not really like a flat line period for that video. Mm -hmm. and, and over time, it's just, uh, it just when the views pick up and the thumbs up pick up, then YouTube starts going, oh, this video from, you know, six months ago is more important now. And let's recommend this to people. And so that's dude. And that's a problem. I, I think that algorithm and these other things, it's just, it, it's, it's almost impossible to really get anybody to view your content consistently or even find your channel because there's so much competition and the algorithm is just so uh it's so hard to crack yeah and even even for people who have successful channels they're having issues with this current algorithm so yeah it's a fucking shit show i mean at the end of the day you should just you should do youtube because you like to do it and yeah exactly i'm i'm not even gonna bother trying to get my monetization back i'm just like nope oh i, I got a job uh, I'm, I'm i'm really like a dig like i put out i put out that h3h3 video and, and it it netted me at least a hundred dollars in in a month that's nice yeah. that's awesome mm -hmm. that's great but that's one of those things that I know I'm not going to get that much and I have to jump through a bunch of hoops and like, you know, they already took my monetization away for like reasons that I was like, really for like years, you did not have a problem with anything I was doing. And now all of a sudden you're like, nope. <laughs> yeah, man, that's um, fucking crazy. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I may <laughs> think I'm focusing on right now and I don't want to censor shit and I don't want to, you know, fucking placate to YouTube and be like, Oh, you can't, do this or you can't do that otherwise you know you can't have monetization I'm like fuck yeah that shit. i dude i did a video talking about how bill cosby was wrong for raping women and i got i and that that video got demonetized because it wasn't ad advertiser friendly and it's like well i mean I, yeah i mean i guess i could see that it's not necessarily friendly for some advertisers but i mean like what you know uh not advocating rape isn't adver i mean i don't know maybe all you need to do is blame the wall street journal for their fucking hit piece and that's it yeah well anyway i'm sure everyone's like just so thoroughly uh, interested in this youtube <laughs> talk right now <laughs> i am not amused <laughs> all right guys uh we will see you next week sometime until then uh have a good rest of your day and or night and or week and i will talk to you i don't have a solid goodbye i'm not like mike i it's awkward and i fumble it every time but that's that's the joy of it so uh i bid you adieu see ya and happy new year oh yeah fucking happy new year shit i forgot all about that happy new year and hope you all your fucking dreams come true bye <laughs> <laughs>
was a little phoned in at the end there, but you know. Yeah. Yeah, sleep is a weird thing, but yeah. So, Mike, uh, did you, this is gonna be probably an extended chit chat because yeah, obviously Christmas and everything. Did did you have a good Christmas, Mike? Did you did you get that scooter that you were wanting, that <laughs> Razor scooter? Oh, Razor scooters. Uh, last time I heard about Razor scooters is when I was in junior high. <laughs> uh, Mike, I, uh, the, I could the, see you. I could see you scooting down the road in your uh, no, Michael's I, I vest I, <laughs> with your with your fucking glasses and just. <laughs> <laughs> with your back, I never had your backpack I never full had of v, a razor uh, VHS scooter. tapes because you just you want to keep the rare ones with you at all times in case your cat breaks into the room uh, and pisses on them. You're just scooting to your job, like. Well, I don't think he can because they're all in 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 totes underneath my bed, or they're in boxes and shit up up high. So, well, Mike, at no part of the story was supposed to be based on reality. Uh, I know, so I know. You're just supposed to roll I with know. it. I know. I just, but no, I mean, I you know. Yeah, you, you got your Razor scooter and you're happy now. <laughs> I could care less about a Razor scooter. Like, I know a lot of people, uh, when I went to high, junior high and high school, they had them, but I I didn't really have one. Um, uh, my, my Christmas was just really laid back and uh, nothing really that eventful. I went to my grandmother's house, visited for a bit. We had lunch, uh, had some pork roast and stuff like that. We watched some christmas movies i watched hook because there is a little bit of a connection uh christmas sort of holiday connection uh with the story in that film and uh then afterwards we visited some more and then i uh, my uncle was one of my uncles was there we visit we visited with him and talked about politics and all other kinds of stuff but it was okay because we all f believed in the same thing so it was one of those things where we didn't have, like, politics was not off uh, limits because it's like we all are in the same boat. <laughs> There's nobody, you know, who, who was in the room that was like uh, pro this or pro whatever. Um, and talking about that, I want to briefly mention a film I saw last night. It was called The Oaf. Uh, and I highly recommend that one to people. It's a really nice bit of satire about like what if uh a president decided to uh make this law that well it wasn't really a law it was like this presidential oath thing where you have to sign this oath well you don't have to sign it but if you don't then there's all this other sort of crazy shit that's going on where you have like a department of homeland security called the cpu will try to force you to sign it or make you disappear so um it was pretty scary, actually, at times, even though it's like a comedy, but I wouldn't say it's a straight up comedy. It's more of a satire uh, and it was really well acted. Ike Barinholtz and uh, I think her name is Tiffany Haddish. I think it's for the last name. That's what her name is. Um, it was it was a pretty uh, eye opening film, too, because it was like, you know what? You could totally see this with both sides uh, being equally as unruly where you have the liberals who are against it, who are like, you're a fucking idiot for signing this. You know, what What the hell are you doing? And then you have the Republicans who are all like, well, I support my country. What about you? You know, yeah, it, it was it was it was it was almost too close to comfort at times. But I think that's the point. It got really uncomfortable. And because it was so close to reality, like there's a scene where the family, they're having dinner like in some restaurant. 
and this old guy who's meant to be a Republican is is flipping out in the restaurant at these group of younger, you know, uh, people who are, you know, not who don't want to sign the oath. And he's like, fuck you. How dare you? Fuck you. This is, you know, how do you how, how dare you, you get out of my country? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> wow. So you could totally see it. Wow. It, it was it was it was pretty intense, but it was it was a it was a good movie. Mike, so, Mike anyway, I gotta be honest with you, I blanked out on that whole that whole little portion. I was checking my phone, but I hope everybody else out there really enjoyed that. <laughs> I think it's okay to be honest sometimes. <laughs> why why do people have to act on pod, especially on a podcast, especially a free a free ass podcast yeah, that yeah. like uh, yes, I was paying attention and totally what you just said absolutely like you know why why you know i'm just gonna be honest but in terms of christmas yeah it was pretty it wasn't what we didn't really do a whole lot we just visited and i got some free movie tickets and a gift card for regal cinemas and that's and most of the other gifts and stuff i've just got myself so i've i've, been, I've bought a lot of christmas gifts for myself wow this month what a fucking grinch what do you mean Grinch or Scrooge or something? Whatever the how whatever. Is that, the, how is that a Scrooge or a Grinch thing? Because like uh, I did Scrooge or, or the Grinch buy all these gifts for himself? Seems like no. they seems like one of them did. Not not really. Are you a the Grinch? Just stole gifts. Well, whatever. I didn't steal anybody's gifts. Well, you know what, Mike? I don't spite you because this is just the first time in a long time you've actually had spending money with your job and everything. So, yeah. you know, I, <laughs> I did that shit whenever I finally had some disposable income. I bought all kinds of bull crap. And uh, then I'm like, where where are all my paychecks going? And I, I literally kept I started keeping a fucking log when I was younger because I had a, a decent paying mm -hmm. job for my age at that time. And I literally started keeping a log because, like, I'm like, literally, like, where is all my fucking money going every week? And I started writing it down, and then uh -huh. uh, I realized a lot of it went to like Taco Bell and. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A, g a good chunk of my money lately has been going to Lyft because my uh, friend who gives me a ride to work and stuff like that, he's on vacation in Canada visiting, you know, his girlfriend and stuff like that for the holidays, and sometimes my stepdad and my parents aren't able to take me so i i've had to uh do lift and that's not necessarily the uh cheapest thing um but you know i've been able to make it work out because i've had enough saved but really it was it was i personally look at when you spend stuff for yourself i look at it this way especially for me now that i have some more income i just buy big ticket items get the things that i want and then like stop the little small purchases it's it's you know that are like impulse buys like i i've, I've really curbed my impulse buying thing i've just been kind of focusing in on things that i really want and then buying those and then trying to save the rest and then that's it i probably should cut back on some fast food that is something that you know. Yeah. Uh, well, you and me both on, on that front. Yeah, my Christmas. Uh, it was. It was okay. And by the way, don't worry. I'm probably gonna put uh, some of this as B-roll. Um, but it, it'll nonetheless pad out the podcast. You have to talk to the talk to the non-existent audience at this point. Like, oh, I'm gonna put some of this at at, at B-roll. Don't worry. Folks. Well, I'm just saying to you because I don't want you being like, <laughs> yeah, when the fuck are you gonna start talking about the podcast? 
God damn it. Um, when did you turn into a Southern Jerry Seinfeld? <laughs> what is the deal with airline peanuts? They are so small. My voice is so choppy that I sound like one of those robot voices from all a lot of those YouTube mystery videos that for some reason oh a human being can't narrate. Uh, oh yeah, the the creepy pasta ones. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what the fuck's up. That's so weird that they do that. That's supposed to make it scarier or something. But no, anyway, um, my Christmas Eve, oh buddy, I had I had a fucking like grandma fucking panic attack from hell. Like I don't know what the fuck. Oh, shit. Yeah, it was crazy, dude. Like, so in all, dis- in full disclosure, I did drink a good bit the night before. Um, went to this uh, anarchist collective house in the neighborhood it's where a bunch well, of there you go it has anarchy in the title yeah. so that's why you had a panic attack well no i i'm <laughs> i'm actually very uh diverse or very uh flexible with the kind of people i can hang around you know mm-hmm. so you know yeah these people were a little crustier than the normal people i hang with but i, I was fine with it you know i'm no judgy over here i know i'm one you know, ste- we're all one step away from living in some halfway house, or maybe not one step away, but for me, maybe, I don't know, like the economy, jobs, whatever. So, mm-hmm. they were having this show, I went with my friend, and uh, uh, we decided to get liquored up before we, we uh, went there, and um, I had some uh, black velvet whiskey, which is the cheap stuff, but it's smooth. Oh, it's smooth. And... Uh, yeah, it's kind of one of those things where you're like drinking right out of the bottle and shit, shit just hits the fan uh, a, a lot quicker than you think and got pretty drunk that night. And I even said beforehand, I said, I, I don't want to get drunk. I don't want to go to my aunt's house on Christmas Eve hungover. Well, and that's exactly that's what exactly what happened. I woke <laughs> up, had a headache, felt like shit. I was like, God damn it. I got to go do this this Christmas Eve thing at my aunt's house. And uh I, I rode there with my mom, and as, as a lot of you guys know, shit's already weird, right? My dad passed away this year back in late July. I mean, I talked about it on the podcast. So there's that whole thing hanging in the air, right? So every time I go over to my mom's house now that I used to call my parents' house, but it's not really parent as in plural anymore, I just call it my mom's house now, because I just feel weird saying parents' house. We get it, Josh. Move on with your fucking point. Okay, fine. Don't have to talk to me that way. Um, I go over there. It's already weird going there, seeing my dad's truck, seeing my dad's possessions. And my mom is, like, losing so much weight. Like, and it's grief, part grief, part uh, she was taking a treatment for hepatitis C, because uh, essentially that's what my dad died from. I mean, he it was, uh, was sclerosis of the liver, Cer- cirro- psoriasis, cirro- cirrhosis of the liver. Thank you. He died from that. And a lot of that had to do with hepatitis C, which is a del- disease of the liver, constantly attacking uh, the liver over 30 years. My mom has had it for a long time, too. So it freaked us all out. And she got on the treatment. And it made her feel sick, so she didn't really eat. But then, it, you know, it's also grief. And goddamn, man, she's down like 130 pounds. Like, she's like a fucking skeleton. And that was like a visual trauma to me. On top of being un- hungover. On top of going to my parents' house and knowing that it's Christmas now. And my dad's not here. And I was close with my dad. You know, he's not. he wasn't just some dude who was like, 
kind of a deadbeat or anything like that. He was very much in my life, my entire life. So it's like shitty, you know? And so we go to my aunt's house and I'm just like, I got a headache. My, all my happy chemicals, my dopamine, my serotonin, just drained, just, just no happy chemicals to get me through. And, um, my cousin's over there and he's got like three kids and I, I can't really, I don't, I don't, I can't really say my, they're kind of bratty. Okay. Sorry, Steve, or uh, cousin, if you're listening to this, but his kids are slightly on the bratty side. They were very loud, screaming, hollering, just make, that doesn't help. That was with not your helping. Situation. That was not helping my hangover. I was having like a social anxiety thing. Cause like, I'm not that close with my family. So it's like, you know, aunts, uncles, people I don't know there and I'm just there and there was just a whole lot of dicking around a whole lot of not getting to the point kind of going on and I'm like okay like let's get to whatever we're doing and we were at, we were there for three and a half hours by hour three I feel a panic attack coming on my brain's going crazy OCD anxiety kind of ticks and whatnots and uh, yeah, I mean, it, I just literally started feeling like shit emotionally, physically. I just felt like this pressure in my head and just this anxiety that was weighing on me like a 10 ton fucking sack of potatoes. I don't know. That was the first thing that I thought to go for was potatoes. But bricks. Bricks. That's probably a better uh, analogy. And I'm telling my mom, I'm like, mom, I was like, I, I was like, we need to go. I'm doing like, you know, like where you take your, both your index fingers and do that little circle thing around uh -huh. each other. We need to go. We need to wrap it up. <laughs> she could tell something was wrong with me. I just could not feel good for the sake of anything. I'm like, feel happy. God damn it. This is Christmas Eve with your family. Uh -huh. The only ones you have left. And my brain's like, sorry, Charlie, that, that just is not something that's going to happen today. It's just like, Merry Christmas, Josh. Here's uh, crippling anxiety and uh, <laughs> and all that comes with it. Right. And, you know, then my brain's like grabbing me and putting me in a noogie. And it's like, but we had fun last night, didn't we? Ha ha ha. So we finally get to my to my mom's car and yeah. I'm like full on hyperventilating just uh feeling awful i you know i'm sure we've all had panic or anxiety some of you out there may have had full-blown panic attacks before I, mean, I definitely feel that because you're returning to that to that to that home on the holidays i think you would have had some sort of anxiety to begin with but since you were a little hungover and you've done all that, that just exasperated everything. Right, it, it just it made did. things like just turn things from like a five to an eleven. Oh, dude, my panic attack level on that drive home it was eleven point five, and and ten mm -hmm. ten being the maximum. It yeah. was I felt insane. Like my thoughts were racing. I could not, I could not get get into like. You know, that feeling of reality, that feeling of uh, contentment, that feeling of I am a real person going out throughout my routine in mm -hmm. life. I had none of that. I felt like an insane person that could not feel good to save my life. I felt just awful, just uh, 
Did you hyperventilate? Oh, I was hyperventilating like a motherfucker. Yeah. Like it, it, I, I always like do this trick when I start hyperventilating because that's really the big reason why you feel as shitty as you do with a panic attack. You're, you're taking in too much carbon dioxide, mm-hmm. uh, or you're breathing in. All right, you're breathing in not enough oxygen. And you're not breathing out enough carbon dioxide. So the balance yeah. of oxygen to carbon dioxide gets offset. And too much carbon dioxide, I'm no doctor, but from my understanding, that's the, what really makes people feel crazy and uncomfortable when from hyperventilating and anxiety mm-hmm. and all that. So um, I'm just freaking out and my mom's having to deal with it. And she's she's seen me like this before. But, you know, I'm fucking 30 years old. The last time she saw me have a panic attack was years and years and years ago. I did not want my mom seeing me like that. It it really it really was. Uh, I felt ashamed and everyone's oh, don't you shouldn't feel ashamed about that. But it's like, yeah, but 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 it's me, though. I'm a control freak. I'm I'm the one who has. Well, it's a natural reaction. To, to feel ashamed in that situation, especially if you, that hasn't happened. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I'm the strong one who conquered this years ago. This is not, if it does happen, it's not supposed to be in front of family, you know? I don't, That's how I would feel, yeah. to be honest, if I had, uh, you know, any sort of panic attack. I haven't really had, I don't think I've ever actually had one, but I, I've had moments where I've been, like, really anxious, but yeah. I haven't had anything like that in a while, so if that happened, you know, in, in front of family, like I, I, that I would feel pretty embarrassed. Yeah. So like, you know, we get home to my mom's house and like it's pitch dark. And by the way, the drive home felt like the longest drive home. It was like it would. It's like my mom. It it it, it almost felt like she took every single fucking back road possible to get home. And I'm just like. Oh my God, woman! Put get the lead out, like get me that's, the fuck that's home. That's probably not what happened, but in your in your state, that's what it felt like. Yeah, because it, it's just like yeah, it was it, it, your brain and where you are in reality. Is, right, is it's all warped. so far out there. Yeah, so we finally get home, and I'm like looking around, and it's like it's pitched. She lives out in the country. It's pitch dark out there. My aunt no longer lives next to my mom. So it's like pitch dark at her house. Looks like a fucking haunted house, which normally in my right state of mind, I might think that shit's kind of cool and creepy. But to not that night, I was like, duh, demon shit, fucking scary. Get me the fuck out of here. And I get in my car still, still definitely in the, right in the middle of it. I had to call up my friend and I was like, I'm like, look, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm having like a really bad panic attack right now. I just have to talk to to somebody. She was so good about how she handled it. She's like, I understand. I have them all the time. I know it sucks what you're going through right now. And we just kind of talked and I just felt insane. And and, t- and I finally get back to my house over on this side of town, uh, my familiar comfort zone. I Luckily, get- you know, the drive home yeah, to your yeah, place man. Was, went, went okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't advise anyone to drive while having a panic attack, but I... I felt advanced enough in my dealings of panic attacks to feel comfortable doing that but i don't i don't suggest it for others um when i got home like first thing i did is i fucking popped a klonopin i needed to like yeah that's what i was like do you have anything yeah like that popped a klonopin and i 
just got I just put my my headphones in so I didn't have to hold the phone up to my head because it's little things like that when you're having a panic attack that make the panic worse like I have I, I it's like uh I have to hold the phone up to my head this is I can't handle this amount of responsibility right now <laughs> it's that mm-hmm. crazy and I, yeah. I literally start pacing around in circles from my living room to my band room to my kitchen to my little nook area just over and over and over again I'm just pacing around in circles talking on the phone and that kind of mundane, menial thing was enough to re- slowly reset my brain and get me to chill the fuck out. Uh-huh. And that was, and I started, I was, my panic had gone down by about 50% before the clonopin even kicked in. So it wasn't, it wasn't the clonopin, but I knew I was going to need a double, you know, a two attack, a two pronged attack to get this one to fuck off. This was like a Moby Dick level panic attack. Yeah. Like this was like a Jaws. We're going to need a bigger boat level fucking uh-huh. panic attack. So I finally got that shit to go away. And, and, and man, there was like still aftershocks and ripples yeah. throughout the rest of that night. Even though the big daddy was gone, there was all these other things and who yeah. buddy like i just i i was like man i gotta i gotta get this did you once you calm down did you try to do stuff to like keep your mind from racing like yeah you know, play some play some games you know you know yeah i I, I, clean, I cleaned my house do, you know i cleaned my yeah. house like cleaning cleaning yeah. is like the best thing to do uh I remember back uh, in the Going Clear documentary, if you remember, L. Ron Hubbard, um, when he would assign uh, Scientologists, the Sea Org members, to lower conditions, or they'd be in the uh, the RPF, you know, the basically the Scientology prison, he would basically have these people do very menial tasks, like scrubbing the entire floor with a toothbrush, or painting, uh, chipping away old paint, or painting mm-hmm. something else. To be honest... That's not a horrible thing to do for somebody who is experiencing severe anxiety to d- pick a menial, mundane, laborious task and just do it over and over. It has some weird therapeutic way of of resetting your brain where where it's like no matter how panicked you get, you just continue doing this one kind of menial thing, yeah. whether it's raking leaves, whether it's picking up little twigs in the yard, and you just stick with it and you don't deviate from it and eventually your your shit will get in check it's crazy it's true though like it hap- every time my panic gets so bad i do that which d- thankfully doesn't happen very much but when it does uh that that menial mundane labor is uh very good for your uh your body it just it helps you get a grip um and talking to, I think talking to someone on the phone it while doing that. It distracts your brain. It distracts your brain. It makes your brain, forces your brain to focus on something else. Right. Yeah. I think that's probably the large part of it. But then the next day, obviously, I didn't drink anymore on Christmas Eve. But the next day, I woke up, felt better, not to my full potential, but better enough to where I could enjoy Christmas with my family and uh, I could go into a whole thing about how that was um, uh, Christmas was almost on Christmas Eve for our family. So we, we would have went to my aunt's house. Then we would have done Christmas at my brother's house. I'm like, no, fuck that. We're having Christmas on Christmas day. God damn Mm -hmm. it. It had something to do with scheduling conflicts with my brother's wife. And I'm like, look, my brother's wife's cool. I have no problem with her, but if she's going to come into the only family that I have, 
And now we're having to reschedule our Christmas because of her extended family. Fuck that. I put my foot down and I did. I said, no, fuck that. Uh-huh. We're having Christmas on Christmas Day. Well, it worked out in your favor because they tried to have, you know, Christmas yesterday. Dude, if they had, <laughs> if they had, had Christmas on Christmas Eve and I was panicking like I was, oh my God, I would have been so mad. I bet Christmas got ruined. And it's like, yeah, I get it. My dad passed away, blah, blah, blah. But that's all the reason why we should continue having it on December fucking 25th. Mm-hmm. Because that's how he would have wanted it. And we did. And you know what? It mm-hmm. was good. It was small, intimate. It was good. And while I was leaving, my mom said, good call on having Christmas today. And I was really glad she said that. Because I was kind of feeling like the asshole. Where everyone, it's, everyone was just kind of like, Ugh, we wanted to have it yesterday. And now we got to... F-. And it's like, bitches... Just sit down, sit down, shut your mouth, get perspective on the situation. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's fucking Christmas. We, uh-huh. our fam, our little family as much is smaller now this year. We've had it this day for 30 something years. We ain't changing uh-huh. it. Hashtag tradition. Yeah. There's, there's so much chit chat here that this could just be like a bonus segment. <laughs> I want, I want like the main stream. I want all people to hear about this though. Yeah. And you know, in case they're struggling with uh-huh. Christmas time blues or anxiety, I feel like mm-hmm. it's important. It is. But it is a great I'm, I'm, deal of chit chat. I'm, just, I'm glad you're, you're doing better. Yeah, that uh, was, I, that was god awful. And I'm sure it, it, it's I'm sure it it's an alcohol thing, man. I mean, it's that's all there is to it's an alcohol thing. I'm, there's a bunch of, ch- you know, life stresses and it manifests itself in different ways. And sometimes it blindsides you. You m- Well, maybe, you know, this is another, you know, experience and an eye opener for you to be like, all right, you know, I dealt with alcohol before and now it's like, all right. As soon as I'm not going to try to drink like that right. again. As soon as know. this New Year's is over and things normalize, my alcohol is going back to more reasonable levels. Because I, mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, alcohol. You, you gr- can't handle it. No, I mean it's great every now and then, you know. But the level that I've been doing it the past few months with all the shit I've been under, it's it's really taken a toll on my mental health. And mm. uh, that's something I can say unequivocally to anybody listening out there: alcohol. I mean, aside from your physical health, it takes a fucking toll on your mental health. So don't underestimate it. So uh, I think that's a good part point to uh, end mm-hmm. all this chit chat on. 